Thank you. You may be seated. Today's bulletin is available to you digitally if you want to go ahead and click or tap in the proper place. And it's a great bulletin and it's got that poem from this morning that we attempted to dramatize the touch of the master's hand. What a great, great poem by Myra Brooks Welch. So go ahead and do that and get that. Once again, thank you one and all for your faithfulness. The giving has been strong. Praise the Lord. The support has been tremendous. We got the many comments, didn't we? Many, many uh, good things uh, said about the ministry this week and today. Praise the Lord. Thank you so much for your faithfulness. You can bring those tithes by, send them in, uh, drop them off as the case may be. We have days of praise available here at church if you want to come by and get yours. Uh, we have them for June, July, and August. Don't miss out on that wonderful peace. I want you to think about it tonight. Wonderful, wonderful peace. Would you take your Bibles with me, please? Take your Bibles, please, and turn to a very familiar chapter in the Bible. In John's Gospel, the 14th chapter. Why is it famous? Because, of course, John 14, 6, which says, Jesus saith unto him, I am what? The way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. This past week, I heard Rush Limbaugh say, as he is facing his own mortality with lung cancer, and he's run into an obstacle with one stage of his aggressive treatment, and he said, you know, we're only here for just a certain while. He said, the nature of life is that you only get one of them. Wow, wow, that's deep. It's time to reflect. When the doctor says you've got lung cancer, the doctor says you've only got so much time if we don't get a cure for this thing. You realize what you're doing is all you're going to get to do. It's the only opportunity you have. The old writer of Ecclesiastes said about the same thing, didn't he? You've only got so much time under the sun to make a difference. I know there are people right now who are existing without living. They are miserable people. They haven't got the Lord, they haven't got the joy of the Lord, and they don't experience peace. Jesus Christ, of course, He is the basis for our, our blessings in life, and you need to meet Him if you don't know Him. Also, the 14th chapter of John's Gospel is famous because they were all in shock when Jesus said, I'm going to leave you. He said, I go to prepare a place for you. He says, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions, plenty of room. <laughs> if it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am, there ye may be also. Now they were still upset, weren't they? They had questions. Lord, we know not whither thou goest, and how can we know the way? And Jesus saith unto him, I, I, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. And that discussion continues. But we come down to verse 27, and I'd like you to mark your Bibles in a productive way. It's so important that we do this. Jesus is speaking in John 14, 27, where he says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you. 
not as, important word, not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let, very important word, not your heart be troubled, neither let, important word, it be afraid. So I'll read it again. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. They were feeling those things. And the Lord was saying, don't feel those things. Don't experience those things. Don't, don't park there. Don't make that your address. Don't get down in the dumps. Don't be defeated. Don't be overwhelmed. And then if you skip over a couple of chapters, to chapter 16, Jesus says, These things I have spoken unto you that, here it is, in me, little words are so important, ye might have peace. In me ye might have peace. In the world ye shall have tribulation. Now remember this because it's the key to what we're going to be saying. In the world ye have small t tribulation, but be of good cheer. Be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. That's the world system that's giving you so much difficulty. So there it is. In the world, what do you get? Look this way. In the world, you get what? What? Tribulation. That's what you get. Small t tribulation. In this world, that's what it'll give you. Say, no, I was, I was going for the gold. I was going for the brass ring. I was going for success. I was going for achievement. You know what you get? Tribulation. Wow, what a raw deal that is. Talk about having the rug pulled out from under you. You go for the best as the world goes for it, and you end up with, what a mess, tribulation. In the world, tribulation. In Christ, what do you have? It's that P word. You have peace. Peace that so many people are seeking for. Now there's not much real peace, even among some professing believers. Not much real peace being experienced. Why is that? And how can we rise above the verbiage and the pretense into the realm of real peace? Reality is what I want. How about you? Nothing phony. Don't just give me the PR spin on what you say Christianity is. Show me the peace. Show me it in your life. The test is when the difficulties arise. It's not when the sun's shining and the birds are singing and everything's great and the cupboard's full. It's when the cupboard's bare and the clouds move in and the birds have left the scene. What do you do then? Do you have peace? Remember, if you go to the things of the world and the people of the world and the practice of the world and the language of the world and the philosophy of the world, you have small t tribulation. But if you find in Christ that peace, you can experience what Jesus said when he said to his disciples, let not your heart be troubled. Let not your heart be troubled. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. You're going to teach us some things tonight for which... We thank you and we praise you. And we ask, Lord, that you'll help us to get a clear understanding of what this peace is all about. In Jesus' name, amen. I remember so many preachers as I was growing up. Madeline, I know you had tons of preachers in your house. I bet you fed a bunch. 
your mom and your dad probably had a lot of great, wonderful, old-timey Baptist preachers at the table. We did it ours, and that's, a, that's one of the blessings of being a preacher's kid and growing up in a preacher's home. And I remember Dr. Walter Hughes of Nine Oaks, Alderton, Ontario, Canada. Now, that, that was not his point of origin. He was Scottish, and he had served in the Great War. You know which one that is? That's the First World War. The Great War, he had served, and uh, his picture often appeared uh, with him in uniform because uh, he was proud of having served the empire, that is the British Empire, and served what he said was on the right side. And uh, Dr. Hughes, he was special. He would walk in the pulpit, and he was now up in years, and uh, he'd say, I want to sing a song. And he had a Scottish brogue that I, whenever I do Scottish, I sound near Eastern. I, I'm sorry. And, and then, you know, you get a little, all kinds of things in there. But uh, Dr. Hughes from Scotland, and uh, by way of Canada, would say, I want, to, I want to sing a song. Cheer up, ye saints of God, there's nothing to worry about. But he would say, a boot. Nothing to worry about. Nothing to make you feel afraid. Nothing to make you doot, doubt. Remember, Jesus never fails, so why don't trust him and shoot? Shout. You'll be sorry you worried at all tomorrow morning. From Scotland. I'm glad he never wore his kilt in the pulpit, but he did wear his uniform from time to time. What a great guy. He was, uh, he was uh, you talk about an old-timey preacher. Uh, he spoke of the priceless possession of peace in the person of Jesus Christ. That's a lot of alliteration. The priceless possession of peace in the person of Jesus Christ. And he talked about preaching the Word, both the written Word and Jesus being the living Word. Preach the Word. And he used a word that I adopted even as a young boy, and I began to use it, and everybody looked at me. And that's what you do when you've got these, uh, these $10 Bible words that you use or theological terms. Everybody looks like you, like you know something, but they won't admit it. And so you don't get any credit for it. But uh, he said that the preaching of the Word of God is Christocentric. We don't start with man. We start with Jesus, the God-man. Boy, I, I defy you. Now, I don't want you to spend too much time on the Internet listening to preachers because a lot of it is, is pretty frothy. And it always starts out with what? Man, doesn't it? Instead of with God. That's backwards. Now, Jesus seeks us. He comes after us. But you've got to start with Jesus. First, middle, and last. This book is about Jesus. It's Christocentric. And as I read when we began in Isaiah 9, 6, He is the what? He's the Prince of Peace. You and I can't know anything about peace if we depend upon uh, what the word on the street is, or, or even what modern Christians have been hearing uh, from the big-time, you know, glitzy preachers, what they'll talk about is all about, oh, I feel peace. 
Well, you will feel peace, but it doesn't start there. You got to start somewhere else. Now, hopefully that's going to be part of the process, but a lot of things about peace are just upside down and inside out. It helps us, in order to discover what something is, to look at what it's not. Have you discovered that? Have you realized that? That's, that's a good process of going about it. And so I'm going to give you just kind of a quick cross-section of the landscape of, of my experiences with people uh, misusing or abusing peace. I remember for the longest time we would go to a certain Bible study and a certain lady, whenever I would ask, do you have any prayer requests? Now, I was hoping that they would say, so-and-so on the third floor has the whooping cough and let's pray for her. Or so-and-so is going to take a trip to whatever location to visit the kids and the grandkids, let's pray. And, And I was hoping for that. What I always got from this lady was, in her Brooklyn accent, and nothing wrong with a good old Brooklyn accent. Pray for world peace. Pray for world peace. Now she had spent so much time in a church that put an emphasis upon two nations or groups of nations putting their signature on a piece of paper, a peace treaty, and having, quote, peace, that she had no concept of what The Bible says about peace. She had the wrong concept. This world has been trained to think of peace in those terms. Now, if you want to talk about world peace, let me give you some facts and figures. Years ago, I read in an illustration book that a study had been done. And they had diligently searched the records and had found out that over 5,000 years of recorded human history, they could only identify 200 years in which they could not find that two nations were at war with each other, at least, as a very basic, the very least. And that's only because it was not recorded. I would venture the guess that there were probably some nations fighting during those 200 years, that there has, from the beginning of man being put out of the garden, there has been nothing but fighting and feuding and fussing, whether it's between nations, groups of nations, or individuals within those nations, or people having different ideologies or philosophies, or arguing over the same piece of ground, or the same whatever it is. Wars have been fought. Some have never been recorded. But where do wars come from? Where do wars come from? Why, in the New Testament, we read that it comes from within. That's why we devour one another. It comes from inside. There it is. There it is. So, world peace. Looking at the world through that that prism of misinformation and thinking we should pray that all nations should stop fighting. The Bible says... There will be wars and rumors of wars. Read it. Matthew chapter 24, chapter 25, leading up to the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Until Jesus comes back, there'll be wars and rumors of wars. How many of you have heard in the last month rumors of wars somewhere in the world? My hand's up. And the only way you haven't is if you've been under a rock somewhere. Because there are wars and rumors of wars 
And that's just going to be part of this age until Jesus, the Prince of Peace, comes back. And when He finally establishes His rule and His reign upon this earth for a thousand years, He will rule with a rod of iron and there will be no war. There will be peace for that period of time with the exception of when Satan is loosed and there's a rebellion at the end. So there we, there we have something that's not peace. We're not going to experience it until Jesus comes back. I remember standing in the back of this auditorium with a gentleman who had had a position of leadership in the church, and I had gotten along well with him, and there was no beef between us, but uh, he and his wife had decided to change churches. And I asked the reason, may I ask you why you're changing churches? And he said, we're going someplace a little more peaceful. I know, the laughter, <laughs> I know, a little more peaceful. And I thought to myself, hmm, peaceful. I can't think of a more peaceful place than a graveyard. And that's kind of what they had in mind. They wanted to go to a church like that where there wasn't, where the preacher didn't raise his voice, where he didn't preach against and condemn sin. But we love sinners in spite of that. All right, so there you have it. We say R.I.P. stands for rest in peace. That's right. That's what RIP stands for. Rest in peace. And you know as well as I, that can only be determined by what we do with Jesus before we pass away. So whether we rest in So putting that on a gravestone may be true. It may not be true. These peace treaties are not usually worth the paper that they're on because somebody's going to violate, it's usually a tool that is used or a weapon that is used by one side to gain advantage and they can move their troops, you know, up along the border or something of that nature. I, I don't have a very high opinion of peace treaties. And uh, I'll tell you someone else, if you go out on the reservation, you'll find some folks that don't have a very high treaty, uh, opinion of treaties because of what was done to them as well. So, the word peace, we, we say, I've made my peace. Somebody might say, I've, I've, I've made peace with my maker. If they know Jesus as Savior, they have peace through Jesus Christ. You have somebody that says, I've, I've come to terms with, I've made my peace with this situation. That means that they've decided to pull in their horns and not fight. Uh, they're not going to die on that hill right now. That's it. Uh, we, before people used to say, keep the faith, they would say, keep the peace, or I keep the peace. Uh, and the peacemaker was what? 45 Colt, right? Is that what it was? Uh, and the justice of the peace, that's what Andy was in Mayberry. He was the sheriff and the justice of the peace. And you remember when Malcolm Merriweather landed from England the first time and he was on his bicycle and he was having a conversation with Andy Griffith uh, <laughs> there in Mayberry. Uh, he he was looking for the constable, and he said, I'm the constable. Well, I thought you were the sheriff. Well, it's the same thing. And he didn't know that because in England, the constable and the sheriff are not the same thing. But uh, there you have a piece of trivia that if you're ever on a game show, you can win uh, with that piece of trivia. All right. Peace. Peace. You've got all these celebrities going peace and love. And, and uh, you've got the peace symbol, which actually is a, a, a vile old... Uh, symbol. If you've got it on any of your stuff, you need to burn it, get rid of it, because it's the, it's the symbol of the broken Jew or the broken cross. 
the broken Christ, various things that it is called. And um, so there are a lot of things that peace is not. And so we're going to find out what peace is tonight because we need to define it if we're going to preach about it. It's wonderful peace. It's wonderful peace. And it passeth understanding as we're going to see tonight. All right. Let me give you an illustration that will help you. Remember, in the world we have small t tribulation. In Christ we have peace. Two artists vied with each other to see who could produce a painting which would depict the idea of peace. Now, I've alluded to this before. So if you already know the answer, please be quiet until the end. Thank you. One painted the picture of a quiet lake away up on a mountaintop. Not a breeze was stirring, not a bird was flying, not a ripple disturbed the quiet waters. All was perfect silence. That, in the opinion of the first artist, was the truest picture of peace. Just kind of nothing going on. Kind of nothing. Kind of like what, kind of like what uh, far eastern mysticism says that the afterlife is. Kind of nothingness. All right, That's peace. No, it isn't. The second artist painted a picture of a roaring waterfall. Now consider that rushing water, the small t tribulation. With a mighty tree hanging over it, in the Y of a limb bending over the turbulent waters, and almost within reach of the rising spray, he painted a tiny sparrow sitting calm and unperturbed upon her little nest. In the midst of the mighty roar, that's the tribulation, surrounded by what seemed to be frightful danger, the sparrow hadn't a worry in the world. Her cozy little nest was snug in the Y of a mighty oak on a branch which the waters could not reach. The second artist's rendering of peace is much closer to the biblical truth than the first. If you are spending your prayer time, your devotional time, saying, Lord, don't let anything bad happen to me today, I understand the humanity of that prayer. It's not very practical. The whole concept of the Lord working in and through us is that we are in the world but not of the world. We're going to experience tribulation. We're going to see uh, persecution. We're going to see problems arise. And you say, well, what's, what's the value of being saved? Well, first of all, you're not going to hell anymore. And you've got new life in Christ, and you've got hope and peace, and you're, you're part of a design, you're par, part of a purpose. Uh, God doesn't make any junk. You are very special to Him. I know who I am. I know where I came from. I know why I'm here. I know where I'm going. My value is in God's purpose for me. We know that all things work together for good to them that love God to them who are the called according to His purpose. Do not waste your breath in prayer praying much about, Lord, don't let bad things happen to me. Lord, we pray for your protection. Thy will be done. Please, whatever it is, bring us through it. Amen. God is in the business of bringing us through it. Think about Noah. Did Noah escape the flood? It's a trick question. Yes and no. But he went through it because he was in the ark. And we're going to go through small t tribulation in this world right now in this age of grace before the rapture. We're going to go through it, but we're going to be not in the, the ark, but we're going to be in Christ. That's how we escape it. We're going to go through it. 
Amen. Amen. He has an eternal stake in us, for He has invested in us as His ambassadors a testimony that needs to be unimpeachable before the world. Do you have the kind of lifestyle testimony and verbal testimony which match up with God's plan and program so that people look at you and say, he, she, talks the talk, walks the walk, it lines up with what they're professing. That's the stake that the Lord has in you and me. He has invested in us. Think about that. The, the God who is not limited by time or space has come down in the person of Jesus Christ and has invested in us in time and space so that we might represent Him. And people might look at us and say, oh, that's what Jesus Christ is all about. Not far from here, several decades ago, there was a radio preacher. His wife wrote this. So often in the dark hours of the night, it comforts me to know of one who stays close by my side, whose presence is a light and a strength and a solace through my nights and days. And I am blessed to know that as I sleep, he watches tenderly above me there. And if I lie awake, he stays to keep me comraded and safe within his care. O oh, love that will not slumber when my need is great through, the, through wearing pain or bitter loss. O oh, love compassionate enough to heed my cry and with the strength to lift the cross that otherwise might crush me. Love divine, I thank thee for this constant care of thine. He's watching over us. We're better than the sparrows. God knows when they fall. God has clothed the lilies of the field. Solomon was not arrayed in such finery. And yet, are ye not better than the flowers and the grass and the lilies? Of course. God's watching over you. God's watching over me. And the basis of our peace is that He will never fail. He will never let us down. He will never leave us. He will never forsake us. That's it. So... Cheer up, ye saints of God. There's nothing to worry about. The real peace in this world is not the absence of conflict. The real peace in this world is that while small t tribulation is, is churning all around us like a waterfall, we are protected and are safe like that nest in the Y of that mighty oak that is over that waterfall. He's taking care of you and He's taking care of me. When Jesus Christ said these words in the latter part of John's Gospel, He was trying desperately to get His disciples prepped for what was going to happen. Even at that, they fled, but afterwards when they were endued with power on the day of Pentecost, they turned the world upside down. And I believe that same potential exists here and out there where you are tonight. And as you're listening and viewing and as you're taking all this in, let me tell you that this is not just for super Christians. This is for ordinary people with an extraordinary God. God's got something for you that will make the difference. It'll turn it around for others. And that thing 
is a peace that passeth all understanding. We read of this, of course, in Philippians chapter 4. Be careful for nothing. Don't be full of care about anything. Don't be full of worry about anything. Why worry when you can pray? What's going to happen to us, preacher? I don't know what's going to happen to you or to us specifically, but I know who has it all under control. This business of living, walking, breathing faith is putting it totally in his hands and going on. And there is such a liberating and cheerful resulting experience from doing that every day. Lord, it's in your hands. Lord, I'm not going to worry about it. I got my hand up. I plead guilty to having tried to fix things in my life. I plead guilty to having tried to have plan B and plan C if plan A doesn't work out. But that never is God's way. God's, I, know, I know, I see your smile, I see you nodding. Yes, you, you are, you're with me on the same page. Are we not all guilty of this? <clears throat> Trying to help God out. Now, it's, it's not, I'm going to do everything I can, and then if I run out of ideas, then I'll, I'll finally resort to prayer and dependence on God and faith. No, 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 no. It needs to begin with our complete reliance on the Lord and what comes with that, because we're in Him for this particular issue, this particular problem, this challenge, this, this incident. We're in Christ, and we are, we're not only in Christ, we're abiding in Christ, and we are, we're, we're so close in such close communion that, that nothing can take us out of that mode. Nothing can. And we experience in Him that peace that passeth Understanding It defies logic. Uh, it, it defies human reasoning. It defies typical fleshly, worldly thinking. And there's a whole lot too much of that going on in Christian circles. And I can say that as a confessional. I'm telling you. Absolutely. All right. So we're in Christ. And this peace is a special provision. It's not the absence of conflict but it's the presence of Christ in the crisis. Put it down. Real peace is not the absence of conflict, but it is the presence of Christ in our crisis. We then develop this, this constant awareness of His real presence. Now, he's never going to leave us, never going to forsake us, but we can act and behave and get out of sorts so that it's almost as though we're not aware of his presence. And then we act like bad kids. He is our peace. Do you see what I'm saying? He's our peace. It's our closeness with him, our communion with him that makes a difference. And he's right there with us. Morning, noon, night, when we're sleeping, he's there, he that keepeth Israel neither slumbers nor sleeps. So it's the provision of peace. The provider of the peace, notice what he's done. He's left it with us. I leave with you. Peace I leave with you. He's invested in us. It is his stewardship. He teaches us about stewardship. He's saying, I'm going to, here's my peace. I'm going to 
Leave it with you. What are you going to do with it? What are you going to do with it? And then he tells how we got it. My peace, he says, his peace, I give unto you. Now, there are no strings attached, but the price tag is tremendous. We talked about that price tag this morning when I was over in John 20, 19 and 20, and we saw that this morning. And what does it say? Then were the disciples glad. They were, they were glad. But the price tag was what? Those nail-pierced hands. The one who created, the one who cares and comforts is the one who converts. And the price tag is tremendous. It is beyond our comprehension. Colossians chapter 1. Let's go there. I was talking to our grandchildren on Friday and I used a big word. And Annie, you do very well. And Sammy, you do very well with big words, Bible words. They've got some fantastic parents who are training them in the word. And the word I used was preeminent. Preeminent. I learned to pronounce that, by the way, when I was in the 12th grade. But preeminent is a big word. Let's go back to verse 12, giving thanks unto the Father, Colossians 1.12, which hath made us meet or fit to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of His dear Son. Now, look what's coming up. In whom we have redemption through His blood, even the forgiveness of sin, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. That means he's first in order. He's not created, but he's ahead of all created things. For by him were all things created, you see. And you ask a Jehovah's false witness, does that mean that Jesus did the creating? And they have to say yes, because that's what the verse says. That are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. And He is before all things, and by Him all things consist. That's the force that holds everything together. They can't tell you in physics what it is, but uh, we read it in Colossians 1. All right, verse 17 and verse 18 now. And He is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things He might have the preeminence. For it pleased the Father that in Him should all fullness dwell. So all all of the characteristics, attributes, virtue of God the Father and God the Holy Spirit are in God the Son. And likewise, all three share these. All right? We can't understand three and one, one and three, the triunity of God, but it's still truth. All right, now we come to verse 20. And having made peace, there's that word, through the blood of His cross, not just through His death, but through His blood, all of you who have been taught falsely, by the teacher on the West Coast who says the blood only represents the death of Christ. It is the literal blood of Jesus Christ that keeps on cleansing and keeps on cleansing and it's precious to us. And so he made peace through the blood of his cross by him to reconcile all things unto himself. By him I say whether they be things in earth or things in heaven. And you, and you that were sometime, once upon a time, alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, Yet now hath he reconciled. We're going to stop right there. Reconciliation is the subject of 2 Corinthians chapter 5. If you start down at verse 17 about being new creatures in Christ. 
and then read on to the end of the chapter, 2 Corinthians 5, tells us about being reconciled to God and becoming reconcilers or having a ministry of reconciliation. There it is. The whole process is laid out for us very carefully. How do we get peace? And the answer is we have peace through the one who is our peace. And it is up to us, maintenance now, I hope you change the oil every, how many, 3,000, 5,000, 6,000 miles. Hope you maintain your vehicle. Hope you make sure that all your belts are working. You might get stuck someplace if your belt uh, in your engine, you say there's a belt in there. If the belt breaks, you know, how, do, you, do you check the tire? Do you make sure there's, you know, take the coin and put it up there, make sure there's enough tread. You better do maintenance on your car or you're going to be broken down someplace and sad. And I will say the same thing, born-again believer, child of God, listen to me right now. You'd better do the maintenance in your Christian life, in your life for Jesus Christ, your walk of faith. You'd better do the maintenance on a day-by-day -day basis or you're going to end up broken down somewhere and sad. You're going to be sorry. You'll still be going to heaven. You'll just be broken down somewhere on this journey. So praise the Lord. I can have peace. It's not what I do. It's not what I try. It's who I trust. That's it. Who do you trust? Who are you tight with? Who are you close with? Who do you have communion with? Who do you desire a closer walk with? There it is. Peace I leave with you. It's a stewardship. My peace I give unto you, bought and paid for by the blood of Jesus Christ. Not as the world giveth. The world keeps coming back. But it's the same old, same old, same old, same old junk. The kind of peace they present is, just imagine yourself a hollow reed. Home. It's scary, isn't it? The people would believe that stuff. My peace is not in a procedure. My peace is in the person of Jesus Christ. Come on now, amen. That's it, that's it. And so he says, let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Mark this down. Both words, let, little three-letter words are imperatives. All of you Greek scholars, you know what I'm saying. That means he didn't suggest it. He didn't lay it out there for your consideration. He didn't say, oh, chew on this a while, and it's a possibility. It can go either way. He didn't say that. He said, let not your heart be troubled. That's a command. How can Jesus command me not to have a troubled heart? How can Jesus command me to not be afraid? And my question, my response is, how can he not? There he is. He says, peace be unto you in John 20 and verse 19. He says, peace. He brings peace. He is our peace. How can he not command us? There it is. When we either fail to through ignorance, refuse, or through a lack of faith, don't take him at his promise, at his word. We're going to have spiritual heart trouble. We're going to have spiritual heart fear. 
That's the people out there claim to be Christians, but they're not walking with the Lord because we can have peace that passeth understanding. It's done. When he was on the cross, he cried out, It is finished! There's so much in that. And this is part of it. He has done it all. He is all we need. We sing, Christ is all I need. He is our peace. Will you claim it tonight? If you don't know Him as Savior, call upon Him, ask Him into your heart. And if you know Him as Savior, then I, I, I tell you right now, you need to claim your blessings. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Every head bowed, every eye closed. And how many of you tonight would say, Preacher, something in the message spoke to my heart. Slip your hand up high. Yes, God bless you. Many, many, God bless you. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed and nobody looking right now. Do you know for sure you're saved? Let's double check that. If you've never received Jesus Christ as your Savior, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Pray from your heart to God right now. Something like this. Dear God, I admit that I'm a sinner. I deserve to pay for my sins. I believe Jesus died to save me. Right now I receive the Lord Jesus Christ into my heart as my personal Savior. Please take away my sins and take me to heaven when I die. And if you prayed that prayer, slip your hand up. We're going to stand to our feet with heads bowed. We're going to sing a hymn of invitation. Won't you come as God leads? Number 162, Lord, I'm coming home. Won't you come? If God speaks to your heart, there's a place to pray right here. Come and sit, come and kneel as God speaks to your heart. Lord, in the days ahead, in Jesus' name, amen.